Welcome back. It's a three-man booth for the first time in about three weeks, which I am incredibly grateful for because as much as I enjoy recording with each of you individually, I do think that it's uh, the most fun and the best product when it's the three of us. So happy to be back. I am Nathan Strauss, joined by a man who did not lead Sevilla to a Europa League final victory and then get sacked. It is Nick Govindan. Good evening. Yes. Hot on the heels of the sacking of Julian Lopetegui. The three of us are back. Who thought it would be something as uh, monumental, but also as sort of randomly innocuous as the Sevilla manager um, getting the axe to bring the three of us back together. But alas, I'm actually doing something quite fun and I'm recording from my patio outside. So I'm bringing some nice natural vibes to the podcast this evening. If you can hear him. Did I just hear? Was that, was that the dog? Yeah, that was my was that dog. a screen door? <laughs> or is that a dog? Door. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, um, <laughs> we have some fun elements to play with this podcast. Some, some ambient sound. Yeah, some ambient sure. noise. What's no, fall I... like in Tennessee? Fall is really lovely in Tennessee. It's not yeah. too cold. It's not too hot. Uh, the weather is always around like 50s and 60s. Um, we haven't gotten a lot of rain yet, which is really nice. Usually... Uh, the big issue is we get like days upon days of rain, but that hasn't happened yet. Knock on wood. Well, so Caleb, been... did you not know that Nat King Cole wrote The Autumn Leaves about uh, South Tennessee? Indeed, that is true. Yeah, but, is that uh, true? No, I just no. It's no, it's not true. It is true. No, let <laughs> 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 buy it. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah. To be fair, you guys did once convince me that you, Caleb, knew personally the person who invented the quesadilla, and I just believed it for like six months. Do you know, I remember that? I also, I also convinced Nathan that um, <laughs> that Reynolds wrap, like the the tin foil, was invented by Ryan Reynolds's family. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the reynolds dynasty the reynolds yeah. dynasty yeah <laughs> yeah how do you think they afforded uh how do you think they purchased Wrexham in the first place you know they, well, they i was were... about to say they're about yeah, to marry like... into the saran family and it will be you know just massively uh It'll, they'll rival the pif with newcastle yes yes exactly they've done a good job of keeping it under wraps though but obviously that brings in uh you know a man who uh already introduced himself caleb rhodes hello Yes, I have broken the fast. I ingested a Reuben sandwich quite rapidly, um, and I'm ready to discuss football. I love a good Reuben sandwich. Yeah, so, so I actually I. don't. Um, what? And I also didn't fast. So really, we're on two opposite sides of the uh, the 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 Jewish spectrum here. But yes. piety uh, versus well, just because well, just because <laughs> gross <laughs> impiety. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because like i just nathan was like, just eating cheeseburgers all day today oh. well i felt that i felt bad because last night caleb and i were, were playing some call of duty together and he was like yeah you know like i've just started my fast and i'm sitting there eating a fucking prosciutto flatbread from trader joe's 
Like, not only was I eating like way after sundown, I was also eating pork. Um, but (laughs) with cheese, with cheese. So when God Uh, strikes, it's a real loser mentality from Nathan Strauss. When God's divine punishment in the middle of his podcast, now we know what. Yeah, exactly. But uh, speaking of punishment, uh, (laughs) we may as well start in Manchester. No, indeed. Yeah. No, we may as well start in Manchester, sure, sure. Um, yeah. where Erling Holland has taken upon himself to deliver almost biblical punishment to every team he's faced so far this year, bar one, uh, as he, again, was superb in the Manchester Derby, where uh, despite the final scoreline of 6-3 to Man City, uh, this game was not close, basically from start to finish. Uh, dual hat tricks from Phil Foden and Erling Holland means that Holland now is over the 20 goal mark in the first week of October, leading some to predict that he might end up pushing Lionel Messi's 92 uh, goals from that magical season about a decade ago. But this game confirmed, I think, a lot of what we know about both of these teams. United are incredibly naive uh, still. Not starting Casemiro, I think, is a is a huge miss against a team that was going to possess the ball a lot. And uh, Erling Holland very well might end up being the best striker of all time. Uh, you heard it here first. Nick, I'll let you go. Sure, yeah. Sorry. I mean, I don't I don't disagree with any of those claims. I think the Holland getting close to Messi's 92 goals in the calendar year might be a bit of a stretch, just considering we know Erling Holland is quite injury-prone. Um, he got, has a lot of wear and tear on his ligaments already in his young professional career. So I think there might be, especially, you know, with a very packed fixture calendar on either side of the World Cup, there might be a time where potentially he gets rested or picks up a little knock here and there, God forbid, um, because I really enjoy watching him play. But yeah, this was devastating from Man City. And we've seen this so many times where they know exactly how to exploit teams that play only with a two in midfield. And Ter- Eric Ten Hag, you know, has really stumbled upon uh, a rather successful 4-2-3-1 with Manchester United thus far. But a 4-2-3-1 is an incredibly risky formation to play against a team like Man City that know how to carve you up in between the lines. And that was exemplified by Phil Foden's first goal, where he just sneaks in on the edge of the box, tucks the ball away. And Man City were pretty much doing that from from minute zero to minute 90. You know, Erling Holland was not scoring complicated goals in this game. They were really working the ball from back to front, from side to side, using the width, using in between the lines. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne was exquisite once again. I think, you know, in Erling Holland's incredible goal tally, we've sort of forgotten that Kevin De Bruyne is probably pound for pound the most technically gifted player in the Premier League currently, and he has been able to display that in spades. And yeah, United were... United were show that they have a long, long, long route to go. And I think the Casemiro discussion is one that needs to be had. You know, he's a 70 million euro player that Manchester United just refused to start. I don't know what exactly is going on behind the scenes between him and Erickson Hogg, but certainly, you know, if you're playing against a team like City that know how to carve you up in between the lines and know how to pass through a midfield two, you'd want one of your midfield two to be you know, <laughs> defensive midfielder who has won um, a handful of Champions Leagues. But Caleb, I think Man City, ha- in this game, I thought they didn't even need to turn it up to second gear. 
to score six goals against United, and I'm pretty terrified of them doing the treble this season, after, especially after watching them decimate another team in Copenhagen today. Yeah, why not the quadruple? Um, but I agree. I think City were superb, flawless. I know, you know, Man United got three on the board, but all of them were consolation goals. Um, all came after halftime when City had already put the game to bed 4-0. You know, I'm curious where you guys think this stacks up against, you know, I think some of the other big victories in the last, you know, decade and a half of Man City over United. Obviously, the one that comes most to mind is the 6-2. And I think we're at a very different point in sort of the Manchester City story. But I'm curious kind of how you guys contrast, you know, this result versus that one um, from some years ago now. I think it's interesting, too, because you can point to another time when City scored six on United as being maybe the first real inflection point in the City United uh, dichotomy, I guess, if you will, all the way back in 2011, which I remember pretty vividly because Arsenal also gave up a bunch of goals that year. But that was when the uh, that was when the David Silva, Mario Balotelli and Sergio Aguero team won 6-1 against the team for United, which featured, you know, Ferdinand, Johnny Evans, Patrice Evra. Uh, I think Darren Fletcher started that game. I'm sure Nani uh, and Rooney also played. That, I think, is what this reminded me of a little bit. Uh, that other, the other one, the win that you mentioned, Caleb, uh, was monumental as well. But uh, this, I think, really just shows that uh, there's such a big gap between these two teams. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I have to say that City are just terrifying in every form. And then I guess my other question would be, you know, obviously Ronaldo did not make it off the bench at this game, from this game. Out of respect um, for his career. Out of respect for his career, <laughs> according to Ten Hag. I mean, how much do we interpret that? Also, there are some rumors that, man, you are willing to let Ronaldo go in January. Obviously, Martial came off the bench and scored twice. Um, I'm not sure how much more you could really ask from him. Um, how does this game, you know, affect what we understand the current status of Ronaldo at United to be. I think that's pretty definitive. The fact that Cristiano Ronaldo is not starting in one of two of Manchester United's biggest games of the Premier League calendar. The other one obviously being Liverpool, which he didn't start in as well. And I think if, if you're reading the tea leaves, I think those reports are probably true. I wouldn't be shocked if Eric Ten Hag was shopping Ronaldo around for a move in January. I think Ronaldo is probably looking for another club right now, probably going to play in the World Cup with Portugal and then sort out his future post-World Cup in December. And I wouldn't be shocked if January we see him move to a club like Sporting, potentially to Serie, back to Serie A, or even a club like Inter Miami, who we know is worth a lot of money. They have money to throw around, and they're also losing all three of their designated players in the offseason. And they're signing Busquets on a free as well. Right. So I think a move like that can make perfect sense. You know, we've seen Bale go to MLS. High-profile players are still making the move. Um, the MLS market value of clubs is just increasing day by day. So I could see I could see a move like that for Ronaldo, but obviously we know he's an incredibly 
competitive person, him sitting on the bench during the Manchester Derby probably is not going to sit well with him, no pun intended. And I, I mean, Caleb, I totally think that, you know, those reports of him looking for a move in January are completely justified. Okay. Shall we move on perhaps from this game? I think City look more and more like world beating champions every day and United were just the latest victim. Um, But the other, I think, major victim in the Premier League this weekend was Tottenham Hotspur, who, <laughs> who traveled the the short the short distance um, to, to Arsenal in the North London Derby, I think a, a highly awaited contest. Um, and Arsenal, you know, I think fairly roundly beat Spurs. Um, it didn't help that Emerson Royale, um, who got sent off in this game right after a story came out that he was spending like millions of dollars of his own, <laughs> of money, his own money to make himself to, better, quote unquote, become a better footballer. <laughs> yeah, end no. quote. Which, okay, okay. Nathan's having a bit of a you know hysterical breakdown me, over I there, but I will let <laughs> yeah, I'll let go, Nick yeah. give us the the more sober take <laughs> on three one victory of Arsenal over Spurs. At Arsenal. I don't have much more of a sober take. Saliba was nutmegging people <laughs> in the, the time oh box. It was uh it was looking it looked pretty bad for Spurs, I'll be totally honest. There was a moment in the first half where I thought maybe the momentum was gonna pull back in favor of Conte's side after the Harry Kane penalty, but you no know, alas that did not happen. I thought Arsenal kept the pressure firmly on Tottenham. They dominated this game from start to finish. I thought Granite Xhaka this is potentially his best game in an Arsenal shirt. At least I've I've ever seen. I don't watch Arsenal as regularly as Nathan does, but I, de- I definitely watch them more than the average person, I would say. So just to watch someone like Granit Xhaka, who this season I think has completely turned his reputation around, walk away with the man of the match in the most important game of Arsenal's season is crucial. You know, Gabi Jesus breaks his very brief goal-scoring drought in this game. You know, it just all around looked like Arteta's side had answers for Antonio Conte's team, who I thought really labored, um, really didn't show that they were willing to press Arsenal, let Arsenal come on to them, which I think works against other teams, but certainly for a team as technically gifted as Arsenal, with players like Martin Odegaard, with players like Saka, who I thought was exceptional in this game, working on the right-hand side. Um, I just don't think you're going to be able to get away with being as stagnant as this Conte team was in this game. And Hunman San, who I think has been brilliant in the past few weeks, had an absolute shocker in this game, had very few important touches in the box, um, very few key passes into the opposition third. And I think Nathan could probably tell you better about like the statistical um, touches in the opposition third, because I think they're very drastic and they're very damning for this Antonio Conte team. But I think... I think if you're an Arsenal fan, this is a statement win. I don't throw that around lightly, but I definitely think for Arteta, this is probably his biggest win as manager of Arsenal. This is a complete demolition of their biggest rivals. And everyone I thought that Arteta brought in over the summer performed incredibly admirably in this game. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was an all around incredible performance. And it shows that Arsenal right now are our value for money for being top of the Premier League table. Obviously, they've yet to play. They have yet to play Arteta's old side in City, but I hotly anticipate that clash, and I think Arsenal are gifted enough technically to give City some problems in that one too. And I yeah. think 
they're they're full fully in control right now of their destiny. Yeah, and I mean the next big test is obviously this coming Sunday when Arsenal will host Liverpool, a team that really well really Nick, I don't I don't think we've beaten Liverpool in a game that matters since I've known you. So it's been at least probably eight years since they've won a game that hasn't come when City's already either won the league or in a cup competition. But yeah, I mean, apologies for my hysterics, but I've been in a such a good mood this past week because, um, you know, the last time, the last North London Derby came when, uh, you know, Arsenal just needed a win to secure Champions League football. And then we got played off the pitch at uh, you know Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yes. But Nick this was and a... I watched that game at Dillon's <laughs> well, actually, in Boston. Actually, Nick, you watched that game. I sort of peeked at it through my hand, <laughs> through my hands, uh, which were over my head. But um, yeah, I mean, this was Spurs were by the numbers the best team that Arsenal had faced so far this year. Uh, obviously, and Arsenal had lost United as well, uh, which was really the only stain on this season so far. But it was, you know, round domination from start to finish. The only blip was when, you know, Harry Kane got his traditional North London Derby penalty, which was a clear penalty. I don't really have any arguments with that. But, uh, you know, every player on Arsenal, I think, outperformed their counterpart on Spurs, which uh, I think is just really encouraging. And for all the praise that Antonio Conte gets, I do think his tactical rigidity and, you know, this formation, which... I guess, you know, in theory is designed to get the most out of a team that aside from their front three plus maybe Perisic doesn't necessarily have the flashiness to control possession in the game. Uh, You know, if you look at what Spurs do, they are last in the league when it comes to uh, final third passes. So they basically have the best chance conversion rate in the Prem, but also create the least amount of chances off of final third passes so yeah the midfield a of, bit of a, yeah the midfield of Hoybier and Benton Kerr is never going to be it's going to be quite industrious in there in terms of winning the ball back but I don't think they're the dynamic duo when it comes to progressive passes in the final third and I think in a game against Arsenal where they have progressive passers into the final third in abundance that was always going to be a challenge for them and I don't think they yeah. they rose above that by any means And to be fair, I do think that it is a legitimate tactic when you have a front three or really even a front four, potentially, of Saan, Richarlison, Kane, and Kuliszewski, who who missed out uh, with injury. But uh, I think that method is just not going to stand up on aggregate across an entire season. And it was clear that, you know, this is the best Arsenal team that we've had, you know, since the Wenger days, I think. Uh, A great goal from from Arsenal's number five, but really the, the moment that sealed it was... Emerson Royale's meaningless red card, 90 yards from his own goal, where he went studs up on Martinelli, really just summed up the game. Uh, and uh, I was I was quite, quite pleased. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a statement from Arsenal. And now I think, for now at least, they still top the table in the Prem. They're a point ahead of Manchester City. Um, Tottenham now sit third four points off the top and you have to say that it will be a kind of man city versus arsenal title race for now i think you still yeah, have to i mean give... city are just like city are so much yeah no I, I think it's like... still like 80 percent, you know city 20 yeah. percent arsenal right now but i think this win for me solidifies arsenal as i think legit and really the only team set up to make as good of a challenge even though it will fail as possible 
um, in the league this season. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, and I think, you know, what it really does show as well is that Champions League will be on the table next season, barring something uh, disastrous. Do we want to talk about any of the other results from this past weekend in the Premier League or should we skip right to Europe? Nick, it's sort of up to you whether we uh, talk about Liverpool playing Brighton in uh, Deserby's managerial debut. Well, I think we can roll that into Liverpool's 2-0 win at home against Rangers because I think we might have seen in that 3-3 home draw against Brighton the last of Jurgen Klopp's 4-3-3 for quite a long time. So obviously against Rangers, Liverpool rolled out a 4-2-3-1 with Jordan Henderson and Thiago in a double pivot. Diogo Jota in a central attacking midfield sort of shadow striker position offering up a fourth option to press. Uh, Darwin Nunez was back in the team. He looked way more naturally suited to a 4-2-3-1. He was able to move with a lot more freedom. His runs into the box were quite good. Uh, Mo Salah looked like he was sort of back to his best in terms of creating chances, in terms of scoring goals. Obviously, he scores a penalty in this game, but he looked a lot sharper. And Trent, you know, who has been under the cosh for quite some time, especially with all of the England controversy, scoring a direct free kick, a beautiful direct free kick, sending a message to Gareth Southgate. So I think Liverpool, we've often criticized them and criticized Klopp in particular for being quite stubborn and rigid in his methods, you know, not knowing when it's time to change something until it's too late or not changing anything at all, um, especially towards the end of last season where we saw Liverpool concede um, a lot of goals first in consecutive games. And they began this season doing that as well. And they really let Brighton run the show at times at Anfield. And it was quite frankly, a disgraceful performance. I thought it could have been, you know, at least 5-3 potentially to Brighton, 6-3. I thought Allison was Liverpool's best player. But against Rangers, I think they looked rejuvenated by the formation change. They looked like they had fresh options. I think the addition of Diogo Jota, the return of Diogo Jota from injury is going to be extremely key going forward, especially for him in this new position, especially him going up against his favorite opponent, Arsenal, at the weekend. Um, so yeah, I think we were lucky to get a point at home against Brighton, against the Zerbys Brighton, who I think tactically outplayed us for most of that game. But I thought against Rangers, we showed a lot of composure and a willingness to change things up for the foreseeable future, especially since we have so many games to cram into the next 28 days or so. Yeah, and not to not to go back to the Trent Alexander-Arnold thing too much, but he was at fault for two of Brighton's goals on Saturday. So maybe this 4-2-3-1 will protect him a little bit by, uh, you know, enabling one of the midfielders to drop deep pretty much at all times, but definitely encouraging for Liverpool. And again, Liverpool-Arsenal on Sunday will be a real test, I think, for uh, for both teams. Elsewhere, now I think we can switch to Europe, um, given that there were a number of eye-popping scorelines this week. Uh, a fun one in Amsterdam, Napoli playing without Victor Ossiman, put up six and dealt Ajax their worst loss since the 1960s, a 6-1 away win for Napoli, who continue to be one of, if not the most fun team in Europe at the moment. Yeah, we, we are all Napoli fans this season. I think 
they continue to show that this completely overhauled squad um, has the right amount of kind of youthful energy and verve to get the job done. They score for fun. In this game, it was Raspadori with a double and an assist. And then our boy, number 77, Kavarat Shkilia. And each week it gets easier to say his name because his form is just that good. Zambo and Gisa with two assists in this game as well. Currently, they top their group fairly comfortably um, in the Champions League. And they also, I believe, are top of Syria as well. And they just continue to be a really fun team to watch. Um, and I look forward to sort of their continued exploits um, in the coming weeks and months ahead. Yeah, but uh, yeah, a very fun win there. That that uh, that group A is looking like it's going to be Napoli and Liverpool going through uh, at the moment. Uh, Atleti continue to falter, getting uh, curb stomped by Club Bruja, uh 2-0, <laughs> including getting a great... Yeah, Jukla, again, they got yeah. they they absolutely got Jukla. They also got Tejan Buchanan, who's finally back from injury. But uh, see that works better now. As a just yeah, it does. Buchanan. Yeah, it sort of sounds like caned, and we are we all know about you know getting caned. But uh, Atleti are now bottom of their group that includes Porto and Leverkusen. So as on paper the strongest team in that group, it looks like they'll be out or they are going out as it stands. We don't have to talk about this game too much, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, this team just looks, again, like totally out of ideas. Yeah, they look a little bereft of any creativity at the moment. I think when the highlight of your season uh, is the Griezmann minutes controversy that shows that, you know, there's not a lot actually going on uh, on the pitch. Which and is over now. Which is over now, right. And yeah. Griezmann has been winning them a lot of points and showing that, you know, they have not been playing particularly well in these games where he's had to come on and rescue them. And yeah, they're not in, I mean, they're not in an incredibly difficult group, but they are in a group with a lot of mobility. Bayer Leverkusen sacked their coach today and installed a Spanish legend, Chabi Alonso, one of my favorite players of all time, and I hope he does well over in the Bundesliga with Leverkusen. But yeah, it's not looking particularly great right now. A lot of Atleti's players are out of form, um, which is interesting because players like Matthias Cunha, um, you know, Griezmann, et cetera, go away to their national teams and they play quite well. And then they come back to the Atleti squad and look, you know, dejected. And it's not looking particularly great for them right now. And Club Bruges are one of the few remaining teams who are unbeaten in Europe this yes. season. Yeah. And sadly, uh, our boys at Union Berlin lost this weekend, meaning that Bayern, who ended a game against Victoria uh, Plasenia in about the sixth minute, uh, who, they won 5-0 in that contest. Bayern are now just two points off of first. So hashtag corner kick Bundesliga watch is back on, uh, <laughs> you know, in case you've missed us. How, but, when, when will we learn that the watch is never over? It's never over. Right. Um, but the other match in Group C is, I think, the more important one where Inter beat Barcelona in a really, really tight matchup where Barcelona played better, I think, over the 90 minutes. Dembele had 27 take-ons in the final third, which I think is some sort of... I mean, I would that be stunned if it is in his record. Uh, it was kind of nuts. And even though his rating was only a 6.1, that doesn't actually reflect his uh, his his game on the whole. He had 24 crosses in this game as well. And really, it was just an unfortunate case of Inter scoring on one of their five shots, uh, a banger, 
from Chalhanoglu, who uh, scored from outside the box with a shot that sort of trickled past Ter Stegen. But this is a big game because of how uh, hard it is for anyone to qualify in this group outside of Bayern. So Barca now need to win that return leg uh, at the Camp Nou next week. Yeah, I mean, we knew that October for many, you know, top European clubs is going to be an incredibly busy month filled with games every three days um, and needing to get results both in the league and in Europe. And unfortunately, you know, Barcelona couldn't get the job done here. I do think we pretty roundly outplayed Inter, who came into the game having lost at home over the weekend um, to Jose Mourinho's Roma pretty roundly. Um, but we couldn't quite get, you know, that final touch um, in. I think there were several very legitimate um, refereeing errors in this game, even after VAR review. Um, obviously, there was one being after the ball did hit Ansu Fati's hand inadvertently before falling to Pedri. There was actually a rule change this year, someone pointed out on Twitter, that that is technically not considered a handball um, anymore. And so that goal should have stood. There was also another handball that wasn't called that was in a lot of ways very similar against Dumfries that should have led to a penalty. However, you know, I'll note that, but I don't think that Barcelona need to rely on decisions like that to get the job done. I think the worry is we are now dangerously close to going out of the Champions League for the second year in a row that's bad both on a sporting level that's bad on a financial level and we're also um, incredibly depleted right now especially defensively Um, we'd already lost you know Kunde and Araujo for sort of the medium and long term and then in this game Christensen went off with a ankle sprain and he's going to be out for a month Kessier is also out Um, for 10 days which isn't very long but still long enough to miss two or three games and all of a sudden our defense and midfield are looking a little light on rotation and so you know I'm concerned about Barcelona's ability to cope with the crush of games coming up and the fact that in the return leg against Inter anything but a win will basically you know seal our fate of Europa League or worse. Yeah, and I think from an Inter perspective, this is a as massive a win as you can get. Inzaghi was under real pressure coming into this game, and I think had Barcelona rocked up and battered them off the park, I think we probably could have seen him getting the sack. They sit ninth in Serie A right now, currently, I believe. Um, they're looking quite mid-table in terms of form. They were beaten by Jose Mourinho's Roma while Mourinho was sitting on a bus outside of the stadium live-streaming the game. <laughs> Um, which is not a good look if you're in Zagi. So this was a huge, huge, huge win for them. And yeah, I think Barcelona can say that they got a bit football managered here, <laughs> just in terms of um, the way how the game went down. I thought it was a great finish by Chalonoglu to put Inter 1-0 up, but I'm not sure over the course of the game that they really deserved to get all three points, but somehow that's just the i mean sometimes it's just how the cookie crumbles so yeah i mean they had zero xg in the second half yeah right and, uh, so it does just happen i mean this is this is the champions league first i know i'm speaking in a lot of cliches today and i apologize for it but i think in a season like this where games are coming inordinately fast i think you're going to see 
the likelihood of weird results like this increase ever more, especially with, you know, more tired legs on players, um, a lot more rotation that's needed in order to, you know, account for the fact that there's a, a cramped fixture calendar. So I wouldn't be shocked if a team like Barcelona performs incredibly well week in, week out in La Liga, but suffers in midweek uh, in the Champions League and, you know, God forbid, the Europa League for a second season in a row. So I think this could be the season where we see anomalies like that just due to the bizarre nature of the calendar. Indeed. Well, elsewhere on that Tuesday, Marseille beat Sporting 4-1 uh, and Spurs drew away at uh, Frankfurt 0-0, uh, continuing to sort of fall a little bit. But in today's games, which is the sort of lesser match day of the two, as we've talked about in the past, the Champions League loves to stack one day, one day worth of uh, quality fixtures. But uh, I think the biggest result today was probably that 4-1 Dortmund win over Sevilla that, as we mentioned in the open, got Lopetegui sacked. Uh, incidentally, Lopetegui is now the favorite to replace uh, or to become the next Spurs manager. So he might not be unemployed for long, but what worse. a day. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lopetegui is the favorite. Really to become... jumping the gun there. You lose, <laughs> you lose one NLD and you're facing the sack. Uh, no, but Lopetegui is now the favorite to uh, become the new, <clears throat> become the new Wolves manager. So he might not be unemployed for long, but it was a great day again for Jude Bellingham, who continues to look like, one of the best midfielders in the entire competition. Captain Dortmund. Yeah, Captain day. Captain Dortmund scored a bonger. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a, a good win for a Dortmund team that have, again, had a topsy-turvy start to the season. Yeah, I think this, this is an important win for Dortmund that have now, I think, solidified their claim on second place in the group. And so I think they can expect to go through. But really, Sevilla are just, unfortunately, have been a bit of whipping boys, both in Europe and domestically this year. I think we knew that they might be in trouble this summer when they sold their entire defense or center defense. Um, they brought in one player, Marcao from Galatasaray, I believe, but he's been out injured for the entire season. In this game, they started Jose Angel Carmona, who is 20 at center back. They started Nemanja Gudeljic. I don't really know how to ever say his last name, Nathan. I feel like you might know. I think it's like I think it's Hudeli. Hudeli or something like that. Who's yeah. not a natural center back? He's really more of a CDM. And then uh, Kike Salas, um, who's also twenty, who got yanked off at the weekend um, in La Liga because he had such a bad performance. So. This team has a bunch of people like over the age of 32 and a bunch of people that probably shouldn't be getting first team minutes. Um, the squad is just a bit all over the place. Although somewhat surprisingly, the XG for this game was almost a pretty even two to two. So I think Dortmund probably are flattered slightly by this result and Sevilla and Sampioli, who it sounds like will be taking over the club. They have a lot of work to do. Um, in the coming weeks, because right now they sit just one spot above the relegation zone in La Liga. Yeah, it turns out that selling both your center backs is not a winning formula, uh, and then dropping to a back three with two natural defenders in it also isn't great. But yeah, Sevilla have a long way to go. Uh, the other game in that group was City 
destroying Copenhagen uh, 5-0 with another two goals from Holland. He really actually had a hat trick. Uh, there was an own goal that he forced. So again, he now has more goals in the Champions League than both Rivaldo and uh, Luis Suarez. And, uh, you know, we mentioned this before, but he is still 22 years old for the next uh, eight and a half months. So scary stuff there. Uh, other marquee fixtures today. Benfica held on against PSG. Uh, I actually watched the second half of this game because of how bad the next game that we're going to discuss was. But uh, I don't really think this says too, too much about PSG. It's really the first time they've faltered this year uh, in, in Europe. But Messi did score a sublime left-footed golasso. Uh, big result, a bigger result rather for Benfica than for PSG. Yeah, I mean, Messi's goal was fabulous. Um, and I think PSG are probably a little unfortunate not to have snagged the win here. And as it stands, they're actually tied with Benfica on seven points at the top of their group, tied on goal difference as well. Um, Juventus, you know, maybe that's where we're going next. I don't know. Got their first win in the Champions League against Maccabee Haifa, but they are trailing quite a bit, and I think there's a lot of work for them to do if they're going to hope to take you know second place in this this table. Yeah, and on on uh, a note on Messi's goal against Benfica, he has never scored against Benfica before today, and this actually takes his tally of Champions League clubs that he's scored against to forty which is an incredibly impressive feat, which I don't think we're going to see anyone replicate again, just like many things that Lionel Messi has done on a football pitch. But I mean, yeah, Juventus... no one's going to replicate it because City get drawn against the same teams every year. So no, exactly. Holland won't have the chance to play um, <laughs> 36 more teams. Um, but yeah, Juventus, I think we've discussed it on this pod already. Juventus kind of stink. Um, their, their lineup that they roll out every week looks a little bit akin to a lineup that Everton might have rolled out about <laughs> two to three years ago. Good God. Uh, Philip Philip Kostic starting at left wing. Um, Deshiglio and Danilo uh, making up the left side of their defense. Juan Cuadrado still playing it right back. Um, Di Maria had three assists today with a 9.5 rating. And I think, you know, for him to still be playing at the level that he's playing at at 34 is incredible heading into the world cup. And I thought you could have, um, you could have accused him uh, and shocked up this move to Juve just being a move to uh, keep him fit uh, in order to get ready for the world cup. But he looks like he really does want to produce and compete for this Juve side. Um, Adrian Rabio, <laughs> the son of Veronique scoring two goals in this game to uh, help Juve to a three, one win over Maccabi Haifa. But yeah, this is a game that they really should be, should be winning so i'm not going to praise them too much but yeah they have a lot of ground to make up in this group they have a goal difference of zero after uh, the first half of the group stage which is not exactly what you want to see from a team like juve dusan vlajevic has not really lived up to uh, his overall potential this season he looks like he's struggling quite a bit so yeah a lot of questions for allegri to answer and it looks like he's not going anywhere yeah i mean i think these last two games though have been signs of life i mean they won um at the weekend against Bologna 3-0. Dusan Vlahovic, I think maybe in my mind, actually like the only consistent bright spot for the team this year. He has five goals and an assist in seven games um, in Serie A. So I think, you know, 
it's two games. One of them is against a team where I have to imagine some of the players may have even been fasting. I don't know if that's true, but I'm not really sure how an Israeli team plays. Yeah, tough bit um, there, but you really couldn't have played either night, though. That's the thing. Because it's I, like I, evening no, kickoff no, to evening No, I'm, I'm not yeah. saying that there was a way to reschedule. I'm just saying that some of these teams, like, you know, Josh Cohen, are certainly Jewish. Um, and so I am curious about their... Whatever. But I think Juventus have strung together two wins in a row for probably the first time this season. And so it'll be interesting to see whether they can kind of pick up their form from here. Um, but I don't think they're going to do very much damage in their Champions League group regardless. Yeah, and they still sit seven points off of Napoli in Serie A, although they they will get a little bit of a boost because, uh, you know, Roma lost Dybala this weekend to injury while Mourinho was serving his touch touchline ban. Uh, Roma got a Smaldini header that ended up being the winner. Uh, but no, the game that I was referring to when I said that it was bad was uh, actually Chelsea Milan, which looked on paper like the best game of the day, but it really was not all that competitive. AC Milan were missing nine players due to injury, and it really showed. Uh, basically, everyone except for Tonali and Benacer was off the pace on the day, and uh, Olivier Giroud returned to Stamford Bridge didn't really touch the ball all that much. And uh, a really good game for Reese James, who had people saying on Twitter that he's the best right back in the world. And uh, he looked really good. Chelsea looked really good under, under Graham Potter uh, in this game. And uh, yeah, Obama Yang again uh, got on the score sheet. So it was a big day, a good day for Chelsea, I'd say, and, and a bad day for Milan, even if it was one that uh, they probably could have seen coming, given all the injuries. Yeah, I think the key thing for Potter is that he's getting results in games where Chelsea look pretty good in spots, but then pretty inconsistent in others. And I think for him to be accruing three points after three points, you know, winning in the 90th minute, uh, that Connor Gallagher screamer at Sellers Park against Crystal Palace. And then this game, too, where I thought Chelsea were definitely the better team against AC Milan, but, you know, weren't overly consistent in terms of their play. I thought was impressive as well. But yeah, Reese James. I think, you know, definitely has made his case to uh, lock up that right back spot or potentially, you know, right center back spot for England, at least be, you know, a heavily considered member heading to the tournament with that squad. I think he can play just about anywhere on the pitch. He showed it in this game, getting up and down, scoring goals, being a threat, also being quite adept defensively. But yeah, I mean, not a great day for AC Milan. However, they definitely you know, scored a hat-trick in the fashion department with their collab with Off-White, the absolute drip <laughs> of those jackets. Uh, if you haven't seen those, I do suggest that you check them out because that's worth three points in the Champions League alone. And I need to find a way to get my hands on one of those. Yeah, I mean, th they looked really cool and they had, you know, the Ablo writing on it, which I'm not sure all the Off-White stuff normally has that, but I think, you know, certainly... It's kind of a nice homage to him now. This is disappointing, I think, in a game week where all Serie A sides are able to gain victory, except for AC Milan in the Champions League. AC Milan have to be a little bit disappointed. I think this was you know, a good opportunity for Rafael Leao to potentially kind of show off for his potential future employers, but they were never really... Um, in the game at all. And I think we've always felt, or at least I've felt that they play in Serie A, perhaps slightly 
greater than the sum of their parts. And when they're missing nine of those parts, um, it's hard to keep that act up. I think most informative, you know, for me was seeing who didn't make it on the pitch at any point um, in this game for Graham Potter. The headline names obviously being Pulisic, Ziyech, um, Zakaria, who I'm not sure has, has he played like at I don't all? think he's featured for Chelsea since he moved. Um, and Kukureya, who I think is still just kind of being rotated with Chilwell. But this is bad for America. Um, Pulisic not playing, especially ahead of the World Cup, especially when we've looked so bad in our tune-up games. Um, and I know, as I mentioned, all clubs have a busy October, but you know Armando Broja was preferred as an offensive substitution, as was Havertz. And so right now, Pulisic is looking like you know, the sixth or seventh or even eighth choice um, attacking player at the club. Um, and I know he can't do anything before the World Cup at this point, but I feel as though, you know, a winter loan move might be sort of on the horizon. He should just go to Leeds. Right. Well, I think this says that the Christian Pulisic problem was a lot less about Thomas Tuchel than we probably originally thought, especially since you'd think with Graham Potter coming in, he would give players opportunities who perhaps weren't getting those chances under the previous regime. That hasn't happened. Christian Pulisic has released a book in which he's been very critical of Thomas Tuchel <laughs> and the coaching which staff of Chelsea. Which is an insane decision, which is a crazy, way. Which is a crazy first decision. All, first of all, who's releasing a book mid-season when you're not even like 26 years old? Like, what is he doing? I don't know. Whatever. Anyways. No, no. Yeah, the, I mean, the answer not... would be you write you write your autobiography after the U.S. makes it to like the quarterfinals of the 2026 World Cup. Right. And then you, right? you benefit off of the, the goodwill of that. And you, that helps you sell books. No one wants to read the Christian Pulisic self-pity memoir right now. And he's not getting a game <laughs> for Chelsea. Like, it's just an incredible decision. We don't need to go into it right now. Um, maybe we can do like a corner kick book club down the line um actually that wouldn't be such a terrible idea anyway, there's, that'd a, lot be great. That we, there's yeah. a lot of football books out there and a lot of I bad know. biographies i'm sure as well exactly um, so yeah maybe that's an idea for the future but certainly not a brilliant idea for one christian pulisic who i think is um shooting himself in the foot at chelsea currently and i, I think it's less about thomas tuchel than we originally thought and more about you know the mindset of pulisic right now heading into the world cup which i agree caleb is pretty pretty disastrous news for america <laughs> disastrous news for america certainly uh no hyperbole there although he did he did assist the game winner this last weekend so it's not as if his door is totally shut uh at chelsea but yeah i mean it's 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 a concern i would say uh that he hasn't been able to work his way into the starting lineup at all really under now i guess multiple sets of managers but uh, also concerned today as fafana got injured in that first half with a non-contact leg injury, which oftentimes means some sort of ligament. So uh, he could be set for a stretch on the sidelines. But fortunately, you know, Chelsea do have Chalaba and Azpilicueta who are able to fill in if need be, because, you know, as we've mentioned a number of times earlier this year, defense was not the issue uh, for Chelsea at any given time. But uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up. It was a busy last week after the international break. Uh, you know, the real marquee fixtures coming up this weekend are... Uh, Arsenal-Liverpool on Sunday. The stoppable force meets the very movable object when Everton takes on United this weekend. Uh, and, uh, you know, Barca-Celta Vigo is a fixture that, you know, is always good for some goals. And, you know, those two teams met in the Copa del Rey final 
not too long ago, if I if I recall correctly as well. So uh, more soccer coming up. It's coming thick and fast right now. And, you know, the reverse fixture for all of these Champions League games will also take place next Tuesday and Wednesday. But until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Reds. I have been Nick Vinden, the new president of the Corner Kick Book Club. We're going to be reading uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic's <laughs> autobiography to kick things to kick things off. So uh, tune back in next month while we discuss yes, that. Yes, big, uh, big Berlusconi guy. Exactly. That wonderful. Not, I'm actually really not opposed to this idea. I I'm think it'd be a great either. idea. We could do it. We could do it like a once monthly, like a little one-off type thing. And I think that'd could, be an excellent. Really we could change it up from like players autobiographies to like you know the inverting the pyramid type stuff like yeah. the, the Jonathan Wilson stuff. So yeah, it's a it's a work in progress. We've we're trademarking it for now. We're we're working on our patent. But uh, yeah, stay tuned. I guess watch the space. But we will see you all next time.